0: Hi, this is George Denholm. And this is Dustin Weber. Welcome to the 5x2 podcast, where each week we discuss Christian discipleship.
1: We hope that you'll find this podcast interesting and informative, but also challenging as you strive to grow in your discipleship to Jesus, our Lord and Savior.
0: For this episode, we're going to be talking with Debbie and Tom Going, as we will be talking about living on mission So Tom and Debbie, thank you for taking the time to to join us today uh, to get us started as we usually do. Can you just uh, share a little bit about yourselves?
2: Sure. My name is Tom. I am an MK, Missionary's Kid, and I'm a PK, Pastor's Kid. And because of that, uh, I've moved a lot. And so when people ask, hey, where are you from? That's hard to answer. It depends on how much time we have. I actually was uh, raised in Japan as a Missionary's Kid, and then we moved from Japan to Wisconsin. My dad took a call from Wisconsin to Indianapolis, then eventually to Columbus, Indiana. I don't know the city too well. I was in college when we moved here. I was only here in the summers. But over the years, we kind of got connected to St. Peter's. This has become our church home. I have six siblings, uh, all sisters. So people really know them more than me. Three of those sisters live here in Columbus and another one in Indianapolis. It's definitely family that brought us back to Columbus. Before you go on, I see you point pointing to your lovely bride, but i got to ask you this because yes.
1: I have heard it in your family, in your dad, and you and your sisters, there's an accent that I can't exactly place. Is it the Wisconsin accent that you hear?
2: I haven't had that question, heard that question in a long time. It has to be Wisconsin. It used to be much stronger. And then I think the years in Japan have kind of softened and evened that out. The question was, when we moved to Indiana, would we pick up the Hoosier accent? And I think the Wisconsin accent was strong enough that it didn't get pulled that other way. But I have nieces and nephews that sound very much like they're from Indiana. So to answer your question, I think it's a badger. Wisconsin, Wisconsin Badger, badger accent. But it's just a
1: slight one, and I've just noticed a little bit, because I've known several of your family in various avenues. You know, I went to school with two of your sisters. Mm-hmm. One was a here ahead of me and one was behind me, but then working with uh, your whole family here. I've just kind of heard that accent in the background. Now, let's go. Debbie, Help tell us about you.
3: <laughs> I grew up in California. Uh, I don't know if I have a California accent or not. I can turn on a Valley Girl accent <laughs> if you want to. There you to. go. Um <laughs> Uh, Went to Japan as a short term missionary and then stayed. The LCMS used to have a a mission, uh, short term mission program called VYM, Volunteer Youth Mm -hmm. Ministry, uh, for college graduates for two and a half years, the half year being uh, language, intensive language training and cultural training, and then two years at a at a church to teach English.
1: Okay. And where in California was
3: that? In Stockton, which is just due east, about an hour and a half from San Francisco, in the big Central Valley there.
2: Debbie came over, and she was in the first group that I was to help facilitate and provide for their lifestyle needs, language. So I, in a way, I had to keep my distance, but I felt drawn to her. Uh, and so my prayer was, Lord, can you open an opportunity, open a door Debbie, when she interviewed with the LCMS to be a missionary, was thinking Africa. But being a single young lady, they thought, you need to go to one of our fields overseas where there's a supervisor on in place that can help kind of guide you. After you serve in that type of environment, then maybe Africa. So she came, met the group, and so she was actually praying against any feelings towards me because she thought this was a stepping stone being in japan was just one step of many to come so she was praying against i was praying for and the lord opened a door and and the relationship developed
1: <laughs> it does happen quite a bit though when you find somebody that has the same passion as you uh, that has the same energy towards how god's serving you that it would draw you together right and it get it's obviously worked out. Can I ask how many years? Twenty
2: six years.
3: We just celebrated no, twenty seven. 27. Sorry, mm-hmm. twenty seven. That's right. In the hospital.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I, when I became director of this mission program, I just finished my two and a half years. The deal in becoming director of the program was a five year contract, and I was ready to come back to America, thinking it's time to settle down. This person I'm supposed to meet, I think, is walking somewhere over in America. And when I signed the contract, I kind of made a deal with the Lord that, okay, you have to send someone to me. And six months later, Debbie joined the group. So I felt this is from the Lord. That's why I pursued it with passion (laughs) Uh, and and kind of won out. And yeah, that was from the Lord. So 27 years. So Africa... What was the, that
1: drew you towards Africa? That was your racial thought, right?
3: It wasn't specifically Africa, but it was third world. third world. I grew up camping. I love roughing it, and I wanted a thatched roof and dirt floors. And the LCMS was, was reluctant to send me. To a place like that by myself. Dirt so.
1: floors was probably the farthest thing you saw in Japan, but maybe. Later <laughs> well, when on. I
3: met the recruiter at IHOP, there right next to um, Concordia Irvine in California, he said, Well, I think I'll send you to Japan. And I had felt in my time with the Lord that morning before meeting with him that I was supposed to accept whatever he offered. And I felt sure he was going to, you know, say Guatemala or something. And when he said, I think I'll send you to Japan, I said, Oh, okay. And he said, do you want to pray about it? And I said, well, I have. and I think I'm supposed to accept. So, okay. And when I called my parents to tell them, my mom said, J- Japan, Asia. The, the first thing she said was, you don't like rice. Because <laughs> I grew up eating bread and potatoes oh, and yeah. meat. Okay. And I never liked rice. So she was worried at first.
1: She was worried, but <laughs> but what would have been other places where you've been eating something else, you mm-hmm. know, whatever plantains or yes. All right, so Tom, I want to back up a little bit, and this is getting into some of our questions later on. But you, what
2: theological training have you had? You're not you're a pastor's kid, but you're not a pastor. Very good question. I'm not. I didn't have that kind of training. If anything, I kind of wanted to shy away from the church once I was on my own schedule at. Purdue University, leaving home, and, and I really didn't get involved with the church, because as a pastor's kid, you know, we're either living in the church, on top of the church, next to the church, everything was about the church. So I, I didn't want any of that training. I went to Purdue University, studied business, and got into real estate. From that business, the Lord kind of opened the door to go to Japan and just experience where I was raised where I was born. Then when, after I met Debbie and we decided uh, we needed to get our some more training, a teaching credential, that led us to Concordia, Irvine. And at Irvine, as we were getting our California teaching credential, we found out if we just added a few more classes, we could get our Director of Christian Education, a DCE. So that involved Old Testament, New Testament, theology, worship, and it was just some of the best training, very enlightening. My, I was totally ready for it at that stage of my life. And it really kind of propelled our ministry when we went back after that training at Concordia back to Japan.
1: So now are you rostered as DCEs?
3: We're both double rostered as commissioned teachers and. DCEs. Excellent.
1: Excellent. I, and that was something I didn't know about you. <laughs> it's great to see I'm a DCE and, and Dustin maybe, you know, I'm encouraging maybe to go that route to, to colloquy that way. Let me back up. Now we introduced you at time going. We do have another time going here that we didn't actually, you've indirectly spoken of your dad is a member of our congregation pastor for a long time here in Columbus. Where was that in his flow, ebb and flow of back and forths?
2: Yeah, so uh, they served 15 years in Japan, and they decided it was time to come back to America, so they took a call to a church in Madison, Wisconsin. While there, my dad uh, knew that the Lord wanted something else. He wanted to somehow maybe use their Japanese background, their cultural experience. So he took a call to Indianapolis, St. Peter's uh, inner city Indianapolis. And after just three years there, he got a call to Grace Lutheran Church in Columbus. And it's interesting looking back on that, at that God's strategy, very cleverly, knowing there would be Japanese companies opening up in this area. Uh, he planted my parents at Grace, and they were there 20 years. And as I said earlier, that I was just here in the summer, worked for the Parks Department. So I got to know the city a little bit and Grace Lutheran, but also kind of the the Japanese representation here in this city. So that's how my parents got to Columbus. And so yeah, p- many people know the name Tom going and coming back. That's open doors because they have a pretty good reputation and, uh, we've been able to kind of ride ride their coattails.
1: So let's back up now we're maybe jumping the shark here. Wait, there's another expression I'm not supposed to use.
0: That's happy days, right? Yeah, it is. There yeah. You go. you that's one, rep- one of George's <laughs> references. I finally got
1: in the mission field. You've been mostly in Japan but there was a, a brief time you were somewhere else also. Give us a little bit Debbie maybe you can jump in here and give okay. us a little history of of where you have served as missionaries.
3: So we were in Japan about 15 years and decided to come on furlough to Columbus. We were here a year and then we were told we could not have children but we became pregnant here in Columbus and had twins. So We were here about a year and a half, the furlough stretched, and from here we went to Indonesia for five years, and to an international school there. And then while we were there, our school in Japan called us and asked if we would come back, and we jumped at it. We had been a little homesick living in Indonesia. We really loved The culture and the people of Indonesia, but we really missed Japan. So then in 2013, we went back to Japan, just moved to America one year ago today.
1: As you're talking about your missionary experiences, it may not be what people envision as missionaries. I know know, a lot of people envision, you know, you go into the jungle and and you're like, nobody speaks the, you know, the language. You said something about an international school. What have been, what's kind of been your, your home base for your missionary works in both Japan and Indonesia?
3: Technically, we're educational missionaries because Tom is not ordained. And so we've always been based at either a school or a classroom in a church using the English language and the interest of being friends with a foreigner, bringing them into just even into the church building, like to play volleyball, like we do here at St. Peter's, but just getting people into church and teaching the Bible, not just the message of salvation, but to help them understand art and music better. Um, A lot of people just want to study for that. So in Japan, the school was a Lutheran school started by the LWML back in 1958, 53, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and then in Indonesia was an international school, also a Christian international school.
1: Mm-hmm. So now your dad,
2: though, was a pastor. So when he was a missionary, he was a theological missionary. Or is right. that what they call it? Right. So when they went over in 1958, they were church planters. You know, nothing much was happening in Japan. And they were placed in central Japan on the Japan seaside and their job was to kind of, you know, share their faith, start a church, but they found out that the real need was English. So even back then, pastors, pastors, wives, they were teaching English, and as the number of students grew, then they needed help, so they contacted the LCMS, said, can you send anybody? And they started sending lay people as English teachers, and that's how this mission program grew, which eventually Debbie and I joined. They were mainly church planters, but started in the English classroom.
1: And Debbie, I'm gonna back up a minute.
2: Did you have church
1: work in your family? What was it that kind of pushed you into that, thinking you wanted to be a missionary?
3: I don't know, I just always wanted to be a missionary from, I don't know, the third grade or something.
1: And your parents encouraged you in that process?
3: They did, they did. Although Tom's family being missionaries, Having us so far away was easy for them to imagine where we were and what we were doing, and that was really hard for my parents to be separated so far from us over the years, especially after having children, but they always really strongly supported our ministry.
1: So when you were in Japan
2: and in Indonesia, did he have family come visit you periodically? They did. We would always invite sisters, brother-in-laws, nieces, nephews to experience what we were, and it was always fun to then see— this new culture through their eyes, and we were the professional guides, and we knew the language, and I think they could see us in a different light and really affirmed us in what we were doing and how far we had come. So they, we had family come to Japan and Indonesia, and it was always a, a treat to share the culture with them and the food and the things we had seen and done and, and share that with them.
1: And so now when you went back to Japan, you had kids. They were now MKs, missionary kids. How was that experience for them? I mean, we could probably talk to them a different time, but I think you guys did some homeschooling, right?
3: Mm -hmm. So when we went back to Japan, they were five, and— the whole time we were in Indonesia, Japanese was kind of Tom's and my secret language. <laughs> like, you know, do you want the kids to eat all their vegetables? Yes, they have to eat all their vegetables. Don't mention it. You know, just whatever, just a, a secret language. And then um, we started speaking to them in Japanese. And But by the time they went to Japan, they weren't going to be able to jump into school really comfortably. And we had thought about homeschool, and then we started with first grade and then continued till through their eighth grade year.
1: Are they bilingual? Or do they still, they have some Japanese?
3: Japan is a, a difficult culture f- for foreigners to break into as far as speaking Japanese because Japanese people feel there's one way to do everything. And being an island nation, they're just, they're still not really used to foreigners speaking Japanese. Our kids, when they would try, little kids would just laugh at them nervously, but our kids felt like they were being laughed at. So they didn't use their Japanese much, even though like our church was was, there was no English at our church. They didn't speak much. They just listened a lot. And actually, here in Columbus, they're using their Japanese more because of Japanese class at East okay. High School. Right.
1: <laughs> Are both of you trilingual? I mean,
2: what was Indonesia, Was it? A, did you learn another language for Indonesia? Right. In Indonesia, we did. And it was a much easier language than Japanese. But we were there five years, so long enough to learn the language. We knew after living in Japan 15 years that in Indonesia— we needed a teacher, so we quickly recruited a teacher to help us learn the basics, so we could kind of connect with the culture, connect with the people. But it was a much easier language than than Japanese. For me, being born in Japan, I guess I spoke it as a child, but coming back at 10 years old, uh, I lost it right away. But what I retained was the pronunciation. So when I went back as an adult, uh, it was easier for me. To learn and and the pronunciation actually got me in trouble because if I made a phone call they thought I was Japanese and I didn't know what they were saying to me so I had to kind of fake and and pronounce it like a foreigner so just use your Wisconsin accent <laughs> they right? use a Wisconsin <laughs> accent so we speak yes Japanese and Indonesian and the kids do they do both because they were born in Columbus but at four months old we Put them on a plane and flew to Indonesia. So they learned the language there and then the Japanese language. They knew English, obviously, being American citizens, and that's what we use in our home. But I think, you know, they often feel more comfortable in these other settings and other languages.
1: Has the transition back been a difficult thing for them as they've gotten into the American school system now? And
3: Well, for us, it's been reverse culture shock. Yes, that is a thing. (laughs) Just coming back to an America that we don't remember. For the kids, they're technically third culture kids. They're kind of in the middle because this isn't home to them. When we talk about moving to America, we feel like we're moving back to America. But for them, they're moving to America for the first time. They had visited a couple times over the years, but didn't know how to use the money. So, Kind of caught in between two cultures. And it's been a little rocky, but they're doing well at East High School.
1: Those are the interesting things, just learning how to use money. And that's one of the things, whenever you visit a foreign country, people realize right away, money doesn't work exactly
2: the same as it did somewhere else. We, I know in homeschool, studied currency, but we didn't realize this until the kids, especially our daughter at the National Youth Gathering down in Houston, she came back with a baggie full of coins. And she said, "Um, I didn't know how to use the money i didn't know you know what added up to what so she just kept using the bills (laughs) and she came back with all these coins and the first thing i did was apologize that we didn't train her with the amounts and how they're kind of added together obviously she's very good at math but just hadn't used the coins what's a quarter what's a nickel how do they work together before we move on to
1: practical applications for our listeners what's a do you have one exciting story from being a missionary that you go, oh man, that, that was what made it all worth it? Or was it one of those scary ones that, what's a great story you tell at parties about being a missionary?
3: For me, I wanted to say that earlier, talking about working in a third world country, I had always wanted to do that. And even after being in Japan and falling in love with the culture, I still yearned to help with poverty and education for needy children and Going to Indonesia for me was, was a full circle kind of moment because we could work with impoverished villages and really meet needs and school supplies and, and food. Probably a highlight of living in Indonesia was visiting Papua. And one of the books I read as a little kid was Lords of the Earth um, by Don Richardson in a cannibal village and how the Lord used the gospel of these cannibals the missionaries there and we visited that village by plane. We didn't know when we arranged the trip to go to this village and help out with the school for a little while. We didn't realize that until the missionary, we were sitting in his living room and he was telling us about his father being murdered by these cannibals, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is Lords of the Earth. We're living it. So it was that was an emotional time for us just to be able to compare serve on the mission field completely differently than we did in Japan because Japanese people don't really need anything physical. They need Jesus Christ as their Savior. To serve in a Muslim country where they have so many needs right in front of you was a a really fulfilling time for us.
2: I would agree. I think Indonesia, for me, we left Japan after 15 years, and we thought we need an extended furlough. We were tired. So we came back. Again, Debbie got pregnant, so that led to a much longer furlough. And our first Sunday back, after 15 years, we visited St. Peter's Lutheran Church. And we had heard about uh, friends and their work in Indonesia. And we get here on that Sunday, and Pastor Malinsky has a mission moment. And he's talking about Indonesia. And we thought, whoa, is this a sign from the Lord? And it was just a big revelation. And then becoming members here— it just kind of was just very affirming. We were to go to Indonesia. And the blessing of Indonesia is that in Japan, it's such a different culture. They're pretty private about what they believe. And Indonesia is just the totally opposite. They would really get in your face as Muslims. They're very passionate about their faith and As we were confronted, like we were not in Japan, we just learned to maybe present our faith in a a little more bold and active way. So we felt like five years in Indonesia really changed our style, our strategy, our attitude. And then the Lord sends us back to Japan. Okay, now with these new tools and and an attitude, it wasn't a cocky attitude, but it was more confidence where we're going to challenge these Japanese after we present the gospel. What do you think about that? And just stop and pause and let him answer make him answer and it changed our, our ministry we've talked several times in here about the path that
1: God takes us to grow us what we really want to do is come back now it's fascinating listen to you we can listen forever talk about this forever how do we as the general body of believers here at st. Peter's in Columbus Indiana live our lives on mission for God
2: you hear the term missionary and that is someone who's sent obviously it can be anywhere it can be down the block it doesn't have to be over the ocean but i think more than that it's the word inside the word missionary and that's missive and if you look that up the original latin language the missive means a note uh it's a message it's a interesting message and so as missionaries you know we all go out with this with this message and basically the message obviously is god's word but it's also as it says in in 2 Corinthians, that we are letters of Christ, you know, that we are walking out and we're representing the Lord, and through our work that Jesus becomes visible, the Christ becomes visible. And how do we do that? And I think it was key this past Sunday in church, Pastor John asked the congregation, what's our greatest asset here in our church? And the answer was the Holy Spirit, you know, that we have the Holy Spirit, and it says in Isaiah that he sits on our shoulder, and he whispers in our ear all day long, you know, telling us when to turn right, when to turn left, when to go forward. And I think he does that in each of our lives. For me, he told me when to turn right, and I met Debbie. And those are stories I think we can live out and explain and make the invisible Christ visible, is we can just let people know through our stories how does he affect our life how can we have this active living daily faith and it's really telling the stories and we all have a story of how the lord worked in our lives and some of them are very very powerful and the holy spirit will use that to minister to the the people we share with
1: i think the key in there is recognizing that the holy spirit drove that Mm -hmm. because there's so many of us we have those great stories but we chalk them up to coincidence or just the way things are going we don't look for the Holy Spirit. That was the nudge. That was the push. That was the whisper that he is active every day in our lives.
2: Right. And if we, if we do go overseas, and that seems scary, part of that Holy Spirit is we have a partner. We don't go alone. You know, he's there with us, and he's very clever and he can give us confidence. So yes, it's a single lady who wants to go to uh, Africa, but you don't go alone. You have that Holy Spirit. A lot of us just think about the way we support missionaries is to send money.
1: Tom and Debbie are here. Let's throw an extra $20 on the offering plate. How else can people at home support foreign
2: missionaries besides just throwing money that way? I know it's the body of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Where uh, yes, you can pray. Yes, you can send money. Uh, Some can go. But you really need a, all those components to make it work, right?
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, again, the body of Christ, some are a nose, some are an ear, some are an eye. The Great Commission sends all of us. We're all missionaries. And so, But some of us go overseas and some of us go here and thinking about being on mission here. A lot of people here are being sent out of their comfort zone, whether that's in your workplace, outside the cubicle, or with People of other cultures that are in your community, but just being sent outside of your comfort zone. We can't do what we do on the mission field internationally without the people of the church here doing what they do, not just financially, but with prayer support and Writing us letters and sending stuff to our kids.
1: And also, then encouraging the other believers, too. I mean, those of us that may be in education at our own congregation or teaching the kids or teaching the youth, it's just making people aware of the body of Christ around the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you said that the family of God, that we're all brothers and sisters, no matter what side of the world or what time zone we're in. Mm-hmm. If somebody hears, I need to listen to the Holy Spirit, what would you say to somebody? How do I listen for the Holy Spirit? You guys
2: have both listened to the Holy Spirit. In various times and places in your life it's stating that you're interested it might be putting it in writing so you can see it in addition something I did not have in my room before going to Japan is a map being here in America it's such a large country and we can view peripherally right left and everything we need is right here Uh, entertainment work you don't have to go too far It was after going to Japan in this tiny island nation where I started looking what's beyond these oceans you know and I I bought a map a world map and learned about other Asian countries I think that would be one important step is putting a map in your house in your room and begin to pray over that map you know Lord do you really want me to go somewhere in the world where would you please be very specific and pray that, and I think he will identify, he, I don't know if he's going to put a pushpin in there, or a dart's going to come flying, but eventually you're going to know, where in this world do I belong? It, and it's, a, it's just kind of using those resources and being more, more active in that way.
1: It's a very specific ask. I think some of us are afraid to ask God for things specific. First, maybe we don't want to hear, because we want to do our <laughs> own thing. But then, you know, sometimes I think a lot of us go, well, I don't want to tell God what to do. But you're not you're asking god what should i do mm-hmm. where do you want me to be and that may be columbus indiana uh-huh. it may be wisconsin it uh-huh. may be indianapolis it may be japan it may be indonesia but god where do you want me to be
3: and having that map on the wall if you're opening up your your mind and your heart to international news not just conflicts around the world but what um, nonprofit organizations are doing and what people's needs are around the world and then you start realizing, gosh, so many of those people are here, specifically here in Columbus, Indiana. There are so many companies that have different nationalities here. If you ha- start to feel a burden for for a country and then realize, wow, some of those people are right here in our universities and, and our colleges and our companies that could use some support and I could start a relationship. I could invite somebody just for Thanksgiving to my house.
1: What you're saying is God could be guiding me toward Ghana, but it's about the Ghana people that live around me that I might be having that mission
3: to. Because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit doesn't call all of us to go to Ghana, but he has called some people from Ghana to come here, so.
1: Is there anything else about mission missionaries that you guys would like to add as we wrap up our time together?
2: For us, is just the people who supported us. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but very specific congregations yes. uh, like St. Peter's Lutheran. And then we couldn't have really stayed as long as we had without that support because mm-hmm. you were asking about, or we were talking about news earlier. How did we get international news while in Japan? And much of it was what care packages we got with Reader's Digest, magazines, and newspapers, and it's really very affirming that we had this kind of support team here at St. Peter's. And now that we're back uh, and we're doing mission work here with the Japanese, we're just very grateful to have a home congregation that's so mission-minded and kind of knows the needs we have and where we're heading, that we're all on this same team. So I'm very grateful for those who supported us and still do.
1: Well, let's push that a little bit farther because there is another mission opportunity. If you're feeling called to Japanese,
2: tell us about what you guys are doing now. Our very strategic Lord, Japan, you probably have read, is only of the 125 million people in Japan, only 1% know the Lord as Savior. And I don't know any, any country with a lower number. And they just don't change. They're very uh, group-oriented, and there's pressure to conform in their religion. So the Lord very wisely said, okay, I'm going to send the Japanese overseas. And he has, and many are here in the state of Indiana. In fact, Indiana has one of the most largest number of uh, Japanese companies. It's over 320 in the state of Indiana. And many of them are located here around Columbus and Seymour. So the Japanese are here. While they're here, if we can befriend them and share our gospel story, invite them to church because they like to conform. If Americans go to church, I'll go to church. And they then will take these seeds eventually when they go back, and these experiences will hopefully send them to Christians in Japan. But there are so many opportunities here, even at St. Peter's, because we have this second Sunday volleyball where we teach English during the week, but through the English classroom, we're trying to reach the husbands and the kids. And so St. Peter's offers this open gym on the second Sunday of every month where they can come and play volleyball. And there's child care so that the, the parents can play to their heart's content. And that is a, a real plus for us as an outreach.
1: If somebody wants to get involved with that, they've got a heart for that, how would they contact you?
2: What's the best way? Well, the JMS, Japanese Mission Society, we have a website. They can find us through there.
1: Or you can send a out to, to Dustin or I here at St. Peter's or to our, our podcast, GotQuestions, at St. Peter's-Columbus. We're running out of time, so I've got to give—I've been chatting the whole time, and, and uh, we've had a great time with uh, Tom and Debbie here. Dustin, do you have some final words for us?
0: Yeah, no, just kind of to wrap up, it's yeah, been, been great great insight, great perspective to, to hear from both of you, so thank you. Kind of tying it back together with the 5 by 2 I mean, just hearing throughout, you know, talking about hearing worship the importance of spending time in in prayer and, you know, spending time in the word. And then we talked a lot about, you know, blessing others and meaningful conversations, you know, through all the the different experiences that you guys have had. And so just encourage people in that way to uh, just continue to spend time in prayer. And, you know, I think that something I heard you guys talk about as we talk about living on mission, um, kind of something you talked about throughout is, seeking what people's needs are and then talking about in, Indonesia maybe it was more physical needs whereas Japan maybe, and maybe it maybe wasn't even need but desire to learn English and so looking for those opportunities just to be able to connect with people to build relationships and then when the spirit opens that door to be able to share the gospel looking for those opportunities and so yeah I just want to encourage people spend spend time in prayer uh, as you guys talked about is who is who has God put in my life or who is God going to put in my life that he's calling me to 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 build a relationship with, to share my story, to share how God has impacted me, you know, share my gospel story, but then um, be able to learn their story, to be able to to speak the gospel to to their life and to their story as well. So yeah, like I said, just a lot of great information today. And George, any other any closing thoughts before we wrap up here and finish out? Yeah. Tom
2: wants to jump in here. I see the hand up. I was just gonna. I wanted to say a thank you because one one person who makes this volleyball possible is Dustin Weber. He is the one who opens the gym, sets up the net, the poles, gets out the volleyballs, even the little scoreboard, and he makes that possible. And he's he's done that every month. And the Japanese Mission Society would like to just give him a, a thank you. This is to Dustin and, and to his wife, Sarah, who supports him. But just wanted to say thank you, Dustin, for, for the way you minister to the Japanese. And it is a ministry— Because of those who come, uh, they don't really know the Lord and they're coming into a church and hopefully they feel comfortable coming back. So thank you for your partnership.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And yeah, Sarah's usually with me helping out (laughs) to setting stuff up. But yeah, it's really, it really doesn't take much, but it's such a great mission and opportunity. And, you know, I've been there from time to time and just seeing it's, yeah, it's so cool. So it's just a cool thing and God's at work for sure.
1: Well and that kinda of brings up the point again. I think that that Debbie said it earlier. Some of us are the eye and some of us are the ear. Somebody opens the gym, somebody somebody dust mops the gym, somebody else might be providing the cookies for the kids or, or some childcare for the kids. Uh, we can all be missionaries in in the way that God has equipped us and impassioned us. And so praying for that and asking for that. Debbie's gonna throw in one last comment here before <laughs> Dustin wraps us up.
3: Well you talked about some people are reluctant to ask God for a a specific and when you ask him to guide you he's so faithful because he promises like in the Psalms in Psalm 32 I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go I'll counsel you and watch over you you know that he's a coach and a teacher and a protector and a watchman and he's really faithful every time you ask him he answers he never just lets your question float off you ask him specific questions and he gives you specific answers he's faithful
0: well thank you again both Tom and and Debbie and um, I'm sure we'll We'll have you back on at some point if you guys are willing so but we appreciate your time today and we just uh, hope that you as the listeners will continue to join us as we continue these uh, discussions on discipleship and, and the five by two
1: now go out and serve god and others